All right, Hill City. We, Tammy, my wife Tammy and I, we have been a part of this house for about 30 years now. Tammy and I have been on staff for about 15, and we just love this house. You know, we love you guys. We have been missing you a lot. I think if some of you that follow me on Facebook and Instagram, I have been doing a lot of smoke meets, and part of it is, is I am prepping for the day that we can get back together again. So I've got a bunch of new recipes I'm going to try out on all of you when we get to get to uh, come back together. Anyway, Tammy and I love you all. All the best. You know, Tammy sends all of her love to everyone. So today we're going to talk about the title for today is Finding Your Second Wind for the Second Half. There's lots of us when we're playing a game or we're running or uh, you will find that you know, we just run out of gas in the first half. And sometimes I felt in the COVID, it's been like that. I've been running out of gas. But I want to talk about in life about finding your second wind for the second half. And I think it's a pretty exciting story. One of my favorite accounts in the Bible has got to come from the high priest, Eli. Now, actually, there are two stories in Eli one good and one not so good. Sort of like us in our life stories. We all have the story we want to tell, but we have the story that our life story that we don't want to tell either. The good story about Eli is that he's the high priest of Israel and he's an old guy already. And the woman Hannah brings her infant son Samuel to him. Now, Samuel, as I read the commentaries, it's the Bible says he was just weaned. And so he's got to be around two years old or three years old. Now, Samuel, or now Eli is an old guy. He's like 70 years old. And Hannah brings Samuel to him and says, I'm committing him to him, to you. I'm lending him to the Lord. Now, the funny part about this is, is a 70 year old, getting a three-year-old to look after. Now, my wife and I haven't got grandkids, and we're only in our 60s, and we spend an afternoon with our grandkids, and we need a nap. We need a nap in a big way. So, but you imagine a 70-year-old guy now taking on and raising up a three-year-old. And Eli goes on to raise Samuel to be one of the greatest leaders in Israel, like really one of the greatest. Samuel was recorded as, a, uh, as one of the heroes of the faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Say, was Samuel who led Israel through all of its darkest times. It's almost like if you look at the difficult times that Samuel led, it would almost be in comparison with, say, Winston Churchill leading Britain, Britain through World War II. He led through some dark times. Samuel was a prophet, and uh, he led through the time of Saul. Now, if you can remember the story, they uh, Israel is in the time of judges, and the people of Israel said, we don't want any more judges. We want to have a king. So Samuel said, basically goes back to the people and say, hey, this is not right. This is not what God is calling us to. But the people said, no, we want a king. So God relents and says, ah, fine, I'll give him a king. And so Samuel anointed Saul as king. Now, we all know, for those of us who have done a little bit of Bible reading, that Saul went sideways. 
But God and Samuel were there to pick up the pieces. And then God used Samuel to anoint David as the next king. So you can see in the history of Israel, Samuel was there. Whenever the Israel had the wheels coming off, Samuel was there. He was the guy. It's funny, though, that even as great as Samuel was, Eli was not recorded as a hero. He wasn't recorded in Hebrews 11, but Samuel was. Eli raised a hero. Eli was no prophet, but he helped make a prophet. He had no greatness of his own, but he helped to develop the greatness of another. I love what Tandy Stanley says, and he says, your, God, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but it may be someone you raise. That was Andy Stanley who said that. Now, this is not just a sermon on raising kids. It's not. It's about raising up people that God has placed in your lives. They might be a blood, they might be a blood family, but they also might be a kid down the street, or it could be a coworker. Or a, or, or a relative, or that, uh, or just a neighbor that you have a good relationship with. That's discipleship. But all this good stuff happens in the back half of Eli's life. It's all in the second half. And all the good stuff happened in the second half. But the first half of Eli's story was not a great story. It wasn't even a good story. Eli was a high priest in Israel in, in a very dark time. Scripture says, 131, uh, 1 Samuel 1.3.1 says, And the word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were, were infrequent. They were in a dry season. Israel was in a dry season. Now, I think most of us, we've been through dry seasons where we felt the word of the Lord was infrequent. It's sometimes it's those, it's those times where all we do is just barely put one foot in front of the other. But let's look at Eli's first half. We know the second half was great, how he raised Samuel to be one of the greatest prophets. But let, let's look at Eli's first half. When we read about the character of Eli in 1 Samuel, it's actually really not a great glowing report of him. Even though he was a high priest... Eli had two orangutan sons, and now these were adult sons, these adult sons named Hophni and Phinehas, and who were, they were actually priests too. They were priests in the temple, and they had run of the place, but they were undisciplined. So we're going to have some scriptures coming up on the screen. Brian will put them up there for you. And it says, let's get, I'm going to say, let's get First Samuel 2, 12 to 17. ESV up on the screen and I'll let's let's read it together. Now the sons of Eli, it says, it says at verse 12, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests of with the people was that when any man came and offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling and with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And that all that he came out with 
he would give to the they, he would give to the priest to take for himself. This is what they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. So what happened? So I'm going to go on to verse 15. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, "Give meat to the priest to roast, for he will only accept boiled meat." from you and not raw. Now, this was a harsh deal. The, these poor people, they come to the place that is most holy to them, bringing their offering where they would, uh, where the, where the fat, where the fat was to, to the Lord. They said, let, and the man would say, but let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish. And he would say, no, you give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So in 17, it says, Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So Eli's uh, sons were priests, and they were using their high position as priests to really extort the good stuff. They were entitled to have meat from the pot, not a problem. But they want, but the fat belongs to the Lord, and so they were extorting, literally extorting their the meat out of the poor people's offering. In their offering process, the fat, like I said, was the Lord's. These sons were messing with the offerings. In today's language, in today's language, this would be like Pastor Mitch or me dipping into the offering plate for our own personal luxury maybe heading off to Vegas for the weekend. This is the equivalent of what these two priests were doing. They were taking the fat for themselves. So a bunch of people came to Eli and said, hey, look at what your orangutan sons are doing. Well, it doesn't say that. That's my interpretation. But uh, he said, look, look what your sons are doing. And let's pick up the verse in, uh, pick it up in verse 22 as we get this one on the screen. Let's track with this. 1 Samuel 2.22 in the ESV. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all of Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now this in itself is evil on so many levels. Can you imagine these women coming to the place to wanting to serve God, it's the most holy place that they can get to, to the tent of the meeting. And there, Eli's sons would take advantage of them. Like I said, this is evil on so many levels. I mean, how could they do this to the women that were in their charge? So then Eli makes sort of, I'm not going to go there, but Eli makes sort of a half-hearted or half-baked attempt at correcting his sons. And he says, basically, he says, hey, cut it out, you two. Cut it out. He doesn't kick them out of the, of the, as priests. He doesn't even add any consequences. Zero consequences for doing such an evil thing. So he was, you know, as being a dad, I mean, there's times when my kids are doing something wrong in the front room and I'll go, hey, cut it out, you kids. And that sort of, his uh, his response to what uh, his uh, sons were doing to the women of Israel. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 24, and you will see on the screen it says, Eli's sons would not listen to the voice of their father. 
for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Oh, now how's that for consequences? But even while all this evil commotion was going on, we're going to actually go to verse 26. Something else is happening. And it says in verse 26, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with man. So we see these two stories here. We have Eli's adult sons as priests living this evil life. That's one story. And Eli not really doing anything about it. He's sort of an enabling him. And then on the other hand, you have Eli raising Samuel and Samuel growing up in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So like I said, we've got two stories running at the same time with Eli. So let's move along to 1 Samuel 2, 27 to 29. And there came a man, there, and there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I reveal myself to the house of your father when then they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Question mark. Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up on my altar, to burn incense and wear an ephod before me? Question mark. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. And then it comes to verse 29, and I'm going to get, uh, we're going to put that up on the screen and we, so we can unpack it. First uh, Samuel 2.29, it says, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling, and you honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. So this man of God is giving a rebuke to Eli. And there's really two parts to this that we want to pay attention to it. The first part is the word scorn. It says, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings? Why do you scorn it? Now, in some translations, if you look it up, it'll appear the word despise or contempt. The man of God was referring to their habit of taking the best of the offering with the fat for themselves. Now, actually, the word scorn, the word scorn is a modern translation. And if you look it up, if you look it up in the Greek, it actually means to, to kick at. And I looked it up, and sure enough, it appears in the King James, New King James. There are a lot of translations that use the word to kick at. In other words, why do you kick at? my sacrifices and my offerings. And uh, it's sort of, uh, and if you think about it, I mean, I think about even my own kids. You know, you can even have a toddler and they will be a little defiant, but then when they finally kick at you, you know it is willful. This is not an error. This is not just uh, a lapse in judgment. So when we, as adults, when we stumble and fall in our sin, and we, we can repent and get up and get back up, and God has all the grace in the world for that. But when we kick at God, it shows our 
sheer willfulness, and it shows contempt for God. This word kick at actually only appears one other time in the whole Old Testament. It appears in Deuteronomy 32.15. We're not going to turn, turn there, but it says, it says, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. Filled with food, they became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their Savior. Wow. I mean, I read that. Sometimes I look and it sort of sounds like 2021. But we can't think of that what we're talking about, the fact about we're talking about being fat and sleek. This is not a food issue. This is a heart issue. And to kick at is the utmost in contempt. For the second part, for the second part of this rebuke, the man directed his rebuke not just at Eli's sons, but he directed at Eli himself. He says, you honor your sons above me. And you do not have to be a Bible scholar, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. We are to put God first. Not our kids, not our relationships, not our marriages, and not our careers. We are to put God first. And he and Eli honored his sons above the Lord. And the man of God says, he used the term fattening yourselves. You fatten yourselves. So it isn't just Hophni and Phineas that are pigging out on meat offerings. This he includes Eli in the rebuke as well. They were all leading this indulgent life on the offerings of the people. Now, um, just a quick lesson for those that uh, want a little bit more. Have a look in some of the Bible commentaries. Whenever you refer, look at a scripture, have a look at the commentaries. And you know, these are men that have studied and studied and studied. I love reading the commentaries because it provides so much more background on a scripture. So uh, I read, I went through several commentaries. Barnes says that Eli was willing to, this is his words, willing to rebuke his sons for he was grieved at their misdeeds but he was not willing to give up the wealth and plenty which flowed into his house from the offerings of Israel. Eli had a blind spot with his sons and even his own indulgencies. So we, but we, so we can't lose sight of the application to our own lives here. Even in Christ now in 2021, we can struggle with living living indulgent lives in the world. Eli, hey, Eli was a church guy. I am a church guy, and so are you that are listening, many of you. you uh, we come to church every time the door is open, except in COVID, but we can come to church every time the door is open, but we can still live, as my friend Vivek uses the word, soulish lives. We can kick at the things dedicated to God, like our sexuality, like Hophni and Phineas did in their sexual sin with the women serving at the entrance of the meeting. We can kick at things when it comes to offerings or anything else that is dedicated to God. And none of us are immune to this. 
It's funny that in my experience as a believer for the last 30 years, and even being on staff over the last 15 years, when it comes to blind spot, people don't have 15 different blind spots. Lots of times, most people have three or two, maybe one, but it is a doozy. Another thing about blind spots that Eli had is that one thing about blind spots is that many time, many times our blind spots become our children's blind spots. I, when I grew up in a family, my mom died of alcoholism. Actually, four sisters died of, al- of alcoholism. So it was a huge blind spot. And their blind spot became my blind spot because I struggled with drugs and alcohol. And this can actually happen whether you're talking about debt or relationships. So blind spots in parents can lead to blind spots in children. And the, the problem with uh, one of the difficulties is with us as Christians, we can Christianize our blind spots. We can even say things, hey, I'm not perfect. Who's perfect? Or we can say, oh, I'm a work in progress. I'm a, it's just a process I'm going through. This may be true, but if we use that phrase that I'm a work in progress as a ticket to bad behavior, then we kick at God when he reminds us what is dedicated to him and what is ours. How is that for my friend Brian would say an ouch. But God is gracious, gracious, and in Eli's story, God brings, well, actually, uh, Hannah brings the boy Samuel into the picture for Eli. Hannah brings the child Samuel to Eli and says, For this is the child that I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And something happens in Eli that the Bible doesn't describe. Eli goes from this half-baked walk with God, sort of winking at sin in his son's lives and his, and the indulgencies of his own. And now here's a guy that he's, a, he's miserably failed as a father and as a spiritual leader in Israel. Actually, he should have been fired with cause. All we know is that God used him to coach a young boy named Samuel. George MacDonald says it this way, It was if Eli said to himself one day, I have blown everything else in my life, but I am not going to blow this opportunity. There's a phrase that I have uh, by my office, and it says, big doors swing on little hinges. And so you can see a moment like this, big doors are going to swing on a little hinge. But so uh, the second half of Eli's life would be his best half. Eli came out of all this stuff where with the... with his sons and his own attitudes and his own indulgencies. And now he, 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 his second half is going to be his best half. You know, I look at Eli. The part of the reason I like the story is, is not that he's a star, 
but that I think there's a little bit of Eli in all of us. I think we're all somehow looking for this second wind when it comes to our faith. And I like to read this to you. Uh, it's about Eli, and it, but it also applies to us. I want to hear you to hear your own heart in this. In good faith, you know, I think of Eli. In good faith, we immerse, we immerse ourselves in all the noise of our religious life. But we lose track of what is really important and what God might actually expect from us. We are aware that the world is changing and that life has sped up. Our options are exploding in number, but our faith is not keeping up with it all and has become obsolete. We feel close to becoming stuck. We know we need to change, but it is already the start of the second half. And it might be too late. That comes from, again, from George MacDonald. Or we feel that we should be somehow further along in our faith than we really are. And that comes from me. But I'm here to tell you that Eli did get his second wind. He did get his second wind in the second half, and so can you, no matter what your first half looked like. In Christ, there's always room for the second wind. Let's read 1 Samuel 3, 1 to 21. So we got 21 verses that are going to come up on the screen, and let's read it through together. And we will see where Eli pulls it together, and he finds a second wind to raise up one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Jesus, in Jesus' words, he would say, this is real discipleship, and this is what we are called to do. Let's go verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And at the time, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. And then the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said again, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord. The word of the Lord did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. This tells us we are okay. We are okay to start small. Do not despise small beginnings, Zechariah 4.10. Start now with yourself, your kids, and your marriage. It tells us don't be afraid of impurity and unbelief around us in this crazy world. Samuel was in that house, but so was Hophni and Phinehas, and they were a lot older. They were all being raised in the same house. So to pay no attention to the evil in this world. Samuel grew, Samuel grew up in it, and you and your kids too, and you can help your neighbors and co-workers grow up in it as well. Verse 8, the, and the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling and the, uh, said, called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, 
You shall say, speak, Lord, for what your ser- speak, Lord, for your servant hears. We all want to hear from God. Our friends want to hear from God. And as a discipling church, we can help people hear from God. Just as Eli helped Samuel. And the Lord came and stood calling it at other times and said, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. And behold, the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm going to do such a thing in Israel, which, which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that, that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Eli, so Samuel's laying there till morning, and he opened the doors of the house uh, of, the, of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. He was scared. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do to you or more. Also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. That's a pretty awful prophecy. And he said, and he said, uh, Eli replied, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So here we can see that in Eli, he, it just did help Eli get his second wind. But there was a, this for us, there was a resolve in Eli to know the whole truth, even if it hurts. We need that. We, we can't just look for truth that makes us feel good. We got to look for the whole truth. Eli chose humility to receive the truth. He could have said, hey, what does this boy know? I'm the head priest around here. What is this unanointed, unappointed kid doing telling me what to do? Well, he, Eli didn't say that. Eli had the humility to receive what he had. Eli's bad choices led to bad consequences, but Eli didn't throw up in his hands and give up. We are all feeling the consequences from our first half, and we can't let that stop us from getting our second wind and straining forward in the second half. And, and also in mentoring Samuel, Eli created a safe space for Samuel to ask hard questions. We need to create a safe space for others around us to ask us the hard questions. Our one of our original pastors, Dave Mack, used to say, "Hey, your harsh." He used to say, "Your harshest critics can teach you things that your friends can't." And closing in verse nineteen, and Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and none of his words fall to the ground. Let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for stirring up our a second wind in us in the second half. 
the, the song says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. We seek you, Lord, for the second half of our lives. We want the second win. We actually don't care how the first, the first half went, but for the second win, for the second half, we want the second win. Thank you for stirring us up, Lord. We want to be strong finishers. I actually encourage each one in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Hill City. You guys have a wonderful day. Tammy and I love you all. Bye.